As we start our corporate worship uh, sermon this morning, it's a continuation of our essential disciplines. Uh, our, our study on what God wants us to do to grow our faith together. And I was reminded of one of my favorite hymns. We were just talking this morning about, about old hymns. And we have a, a good mix. We introduce new hymns and new songs at our church. We sing some older hymns. On Wednesday night, we normally uh, sing song out of the hymnal and a praise chorus as well. And, and I really like some of the older hymns. I, I like both, older and newer. Uh, and one of my favorite hymns, there you go, Gary, I've got a favorite hymn even. One of my favorite hymns uh, is the hymn uh, called, O Worship the King. I think it's in hymn 104 in our hymn book. You won't find that in front of you because we've removed those hymn books, so kids won't mess with them this week. But uh, it, it's not a real common and familiar hymn that people sing. Even those who sing hymns a lot aren't always familiar with, O Worship the King. But it's one of my favorites for two reasons. One, I really like the melody. I like the way it sounds. Uh, I just think it, it flows well. Chris Tomlin has redone it and put a chorus, and, and it sounds fantastic. It's just, it's just a nice-sounding hymn. But the theology of the hymn is what I love. The words. I'm a, I'm a words person. And the words of the song, O Worship the King, just help me not to just stand still, but sing out. Here's what the hymn is, and I'm going to read for you all five verses, not sing for you all five verses. I'm going to read for you all five verses because they're just so powerful. The first verse says, O worship the King, all glorious above. O gratefully sing. Think of that word gratefully, not solemnly. O gratefully sing of His wonderful love. Our shield and defender, the Ancient of Days, pavilioned in splendor and girded, with praise. That's just reasons why we sing praises to Him gloriously. Verse 2 is, is really a, a, a verse about God's grace and mercy and about His judgment and His wrath. So in verse 2 it says, O tell of His might and sing of His grace, whose robe is the light and canopy space. In other words, sing about how great and gracious God is over all of the heavens. And then it says, His chariots of wrath, the deep thunderclouds form, and dark is His path on the wings of the storm. There's very few songs, even hymns that we sing, celebrating God's power and His wrath. It continues on, telling us reasons to worship. In verse 3, Your bountiful care, what tongue can recite? What, what can we say about you, God? It breathes in the air, it shines in the light, it streams from the hills, it descends to the plains, and sweetly distills in the dew and the rain. God, your creation makes you worthy of worship. Verse 4 reminds us that we're not worthy of Him. We're frail children of dust and feeble as frail. But in you do we trust nor find you to fail. Your mercies, how tender, how firm to the end, our maker, defender, redeemer, and friend. Verse 5 says, O measureless might, unchangeable love, whom angels delight to worship above, your ransomed creation with glory ablaze in true adoration shall sing of your praise. O worship the king is a worship song about why we should worship. I love the tune, but I love the theology. It's not just sing because you're commanded to sing, but listen to all of who God is and what He has done. And when you hear of what He has done, you cannot help but worship 
the king. Our main passage this morning, where we're going to start, is in Hebrews chapter 12, verse 28, on a message of worship. And so we're going to read this first, but we're going to be several places in Scripture this morning. I hope you'll follow along on the screen or in your copy of God's Word with us. Hebrews 12, 28 says, Therefore, let us be grateful. There's that word again. Be thankful. Be grateful for receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken. And thus... Because we have this salvation, this kingdom that cannot be shaken, let us offer to God acceptable worship with reverence and awe. As we look at the idea of worship this morning, I wonder if we can approach God with biblical reverence and awe. I wonder if we can think of worship less as songs that we sing and more of response to who God is. This morning there are uh, three blanks in your bulletin. I hope you'll follow along and take some notes, jot down some scripture verses next to those as we go through them to look at what worship is this morning, what we mean by corporate worship. And the first thing I want you to write down is this. Worship is focusing on and responding to God. Let me say that again. This is our definition this morning. Worship is focusing on and responding to God. And the truth is, worship is very difficult to define. What is worship? And so instead of trying to, to come up with this fancy, churchy wording of what worship is, why don't we just look in Scripture at several examples of worship and pull from that what worship should be. Now, what we're going to find, before we even turn to our first reference, is worship is never a group of people stoically singing with their hands to their side, chanting incantations, okay? It's not some liturgical or churchy atmosphere. What we're going to find is that worship is always more spontaneous. And so I I want to start off by, by looking at one of the disciples who worshipped Jesus. After his resurrection, Thomas doubted whether Jesus really could be alive or not. And so what we find is Thomas's response to seeing the resurrected Christ. Look with me in John 20, verses 27 and 28. Jesus appears to doubting Thomas. Then he said, Put your finger here and see my hands. Put out your hand and place it in my side. Do not disbelieve, but believe. So Jesus reveals himself to Thomas. In verse 28, we see Thomas' response. Thomas answered him, My Lord and my God. We don't have a recording of Thomas singing here. (laughs) Maybe he hummed it. Maybe he's like me and you turn everything into a song. But what we have here is, is Thomas interacting with a resurrected Christ and his response is one sentence, five words, of worship. I see you for who you are, Jesus, my Lord and my God. Another great picture of worship is what worship will look like for all of eternity. If you've ever wondered what will heaven be like, we're going to read the following passages and and you're going to wonder, are we going to say these things over and over again for all of eternity? And the answer is yes, but the question then is, will it get boring? And the answer is no. Let's see what happens in heaven one day when we are face to face with Christ. We see in Revelation chapter 4 pictures of these various creatures. They're strangely described, 
They're animal in nature, but they have several wings and they're covered with eyes and, and they're sitting around the throne of God and they're calling out. The four living creatures, each of them with six wings, are full of eyes all around and within, and day and night they never cease to say, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty, who was and is and is to come. Now this is not a repeated incantation. This isn't them over and over again going, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. This is them looking at God, seeing Jesus Christ on His throne, and spontaneously bursting out, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. He was, and He is, and He is to come. And as soon as that gets out, they go, Whoa! You're holy! 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 Lord God Almighty! You, you were, and you are, and you are to come. And Holy! Holy, holy, right? And it's not just these four living creatures. Not only in verse 8, but a few verses later, we see there are 24 elders surrounding the throne. And what are these 24 elders doing? They're crying out, Worthy are you, our Lord and God, in verse 11, to receive glory and honor and power. For you created all things, and by your will they existed and were created. It's these 24 elders going, Oh, you're worthy. I can't believe I'm standing in your presence. You're worthy to receive glory and honor and power. and oh, Everything was created by you, God. You're just amazing. You, you have everything created. They exist because of you. And, and not only that, you, you sustain them. Oh, you are worthy. Just a chapter later in, in verse 5, we see there's not only these, these beasts, these creatures, there's not only these 24 elders, but there's a whole company of angels, multitudes of angels. And in chapter 5, verse 12, these angels are saying with a loud voice, Worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing. We see all of heaven rejoicing because they're in the presence of God. And then verse 13, if it wasn't enough that all of heaven worships in God's presence, when they experience who Christ is, all creation worships. Verse 13, I heard every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and in the sea and all that is in them saying, to him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb be blessing and honor and glory and might forever and ever. This is a picture of all creation seeing God for who He is and spontaneously bursting forth in worship. That is what worship is. It's not singing songs. It's not repeating a structured order of service. It's experiencing and knowing who God is and not being able to contain your joy and your excitement. Worship is Focusing on and responding to God. Someone once told me, as a matter of fact, I was a youth pastor and it was someone leading our, our youth worship. They, they told our entire youth group that tonight we're going to worship and I want you to worship until you feel uncomfortable. It kind of struck me. I didn't say anything because I wasn't up on stage at the time. And uh, their, their, their push was, I know it's uncomfortable, but raise your hands. I know it's uncomfortable, but, but lay down prostrate now. 
I know it's uncomfortable, but do this action and do that action. We're going to force you into this discomfort, and then you'll experience worship. Well, after the service, I kind of let that go, but after the service, I pulled our praise team aside and I said, guys, I don't think that worship is something that should make us uncomfortable. (laughs) Now, it should stretch us, by the way. Uh, There's a book that our praise team is going through, a a great book about different words uh, that describe worship. And and in doing so, it calls us to do things that stretch us and maybe cause us some discomfort, and that's fine. But our goal in worship should never be, let's worship until we're uncomfortable. As a matter of fact, worship should be the most comfortable thing we ever do. We should see God for who He is and naturally worship Him for who He is. For some of you, rightly so, you worship God immensely when you see who God is by grabbing that pew in front of you, maybe closing your eyes, maybe not, maybe staring straight ahead and just singing softly. That's how you respond in heartfelt, genuine worship. Some of you, though, I can tell your worship wants you to sway and move and you feel like you can't. For you, the discomfort is having to stay still in worship. Like everybody else is standing still with their arms to the side. I'm going to make myself uncomfortable and not respond to God in worship how I feel moved. When I see God for who He is, I I restrict myself. For you, I say, worship God and put your hands in the air. For you, I say, sway all you want. And while I don't want you to be a distraction to corporate worship, we're going to talk about that in a moment. No need to run around in circles or anything like that. If you move more and people beside you say, what are they doing? Move and respond in worship. It's okay to raise your hands. It's okay to sit down. It's okay to kneel. It's okay to sway. It's okay if you bounce, right? When you experience God for who He is, you respond in worship. How do we know who God is? How do we experience Him so we can elicit this reaction? The Bible says God revealed himself in three ways, really two categories, but three ways. The first is called general revelation. That is, God revealed himself generally to everyone through creation. We can worship God simply by observing the world around us. We can wake up early and see a sunrise. We can can go outside at, at nighttime and watch the sunset. We can sit on an ocean and watch the waves. We can, we can sit in our backyard and listen to the birds sing. But we can see natural phenomena or we can just appreciate the nature around us. And we can say, Lord, you are a creative, amazing God. And we can worship because of that. The second category in the next two ways that God reveals himself to us so that we can worship him is what we call special revelation. It's not just general for everyone, but God specifically revealed himself. And he did so in two ways. One is through the written scriptures that we have. And the other is through the person of Jesus Christ. Scripture teaches us that specifically he wanted us to know who he was. So he wrote down 66 books used men to give us a message of who God is. And he revealed himself to humanity by sending his son, Jesus Christ, to live on earth that we may know him personally, intimately, and worship him. I tell you, when we experience the salvation that Christ brings, I don't know how we stay quiet. When we dwell on the fact that we were sinful people, 
and God rescued us, I don't know how we don't shout out. But worship is not standing around saying there's words on the screen. We should sing. Worship is saying, do we realize what God has done? Do you realize what Jesus Christ did? Do you realize God's greatness and power and might? Do you realize His love and His mercy, His his justice and even His wrath? Do you realize who God is? And, And worship is responding, focusing on and responding to God. Worship should be the most natural thing a Christian ever does. Secondly, I I want you to write this down. Worship is done in spirit and in truth. Worship is done in spirit and in truth. There's a specific Bible verse we get that from, so you can jot down next to that or turn with me, John chapter 4, verses 23 and 24. And the context of John 4 is Jesus talking to a, a lost woman at a well in the middle of the day, and he's leading her to a salvation experience. She has a lot of questions, and she, she twists things around and turns the conversation away from her need for salvation and to worship. And so Jesus, wanting to answer her, gives her maybe one of the clearest pictures of what true worship is in all of Scripture. John chapter 4, verses 23 through 24, Jesus tells her, The hour is coming and is now here. When true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For the Father is seeking such people to worship Him. God is spirit, and those who worship Him must worship in spirit and in truth. Now, this is kind of a little awkward because this is a churchy phrase, right? We, we throw out these churchy words and these churchy phrases. We get it from Scripture, but... What in the world does it mean to worship God in spirit and in truth? We could spend a lot of time trying to figure out what it means to worship in spirit and what it means to worship in truth. It's really simpler than maybe we give it credit for. And I'm going to explain these two concepts that Jesus is talking about in just a moment. But before we do, I think it's important for us to understand we cannot worship God without His Spirit. When Jesus calls us to worship in spirit, it requires that we have what John 14 calls the spirit of truth living in us. It requires that we experience salvation in Jesus Christ. I can very confidently tell you, you cannot worship God if you are not a genuine believer indwelled with the Holy Spirit, if you have not experienced salvation. You can sing songs. You can lift your hands. You can go through all the motions. But you cannot worship without what John 14, 17 calls the Spirit of Truth, the Holy Spirit in you. Having the Holy Spirit doesn't mean that you will worship. There are plenty of Christians who who fail to worship. But it means that you can worship. That you have access to the throne of God that you have the indwelling of God in you and you have the opportunity to respond in worship. And so as we look at this indwelling of the Spirit, what exactly does it mean then to worship in spirit and in truth? As you worship, there has to be this balance between worshiping in spirit and worshiping in truth. It's done these two ways and in these two manners. Worshiping in truth means worshiping according to the truth 
of Scripture. We don't have freedom to worship whatever we want. We are called to worship what Scripture reveals to us. So worshiping any other God is not true worship. We must worship as God has revealed Himself in Scripture. We share the name Christian with a lot of other religions. We have the Church of Latter-day Saints who call themselves Christian. Jehovah's Witness who call themselves Christian. Several fringe denominations, uh, Christian science would be another one, and even other Christian faiths or so-called Christian faiths that use that word Christian, but do not worship the God revealed in Scripture. One of the things I love to do is to witness to Mormons. Do you like when Mormons come and knock on your door? I love it. I absolutely eat it up. Now, what I normally tell them to do, because it's, it's just more uh, convenient for me, is they'll knock on my door, and they've never failed to take me up on this. I'll say, can we schedule an appointment in my office at church? I'm the pastor of First Baptist Church. Would you come and sit in my office, and we can talk more about uh, the, the Mormon faith? I love it. Oh, it's great. They like to share all of these details about who Jesus is about what He has done and how there's salvation through Jesus. But you know what you find and where I I get them every time? Is that they don't worship Jesus as revealed in Scripture. They worship their own idea of who Jesus is. I tell you, that's not worship. You can't make God be something He is not. Our culture wants to think of God as, as loving and gracious. And by the way, He is. But our culture wants to reject his justice, his fairness, and the fact that he must punish sin. I tell you, if you worship only one aspect of God, not the God revealed in Scripture, you are not genuinely worshiping. To worship in truth, it's to know what the truth of Scripture teaches about God. That requires then that if you're going to worship, you must read the Bible. You cannot worship if you don't know who God is. Not only does Scripture reveal who God is, but Scripture actually reveals to us specifically how we are to worship. There are some general principles that God wants us to to keep in mind. Now, none of those general principles are dressed this way for a New Testament church. None of them are sing this style of music for a New Testament church. But they are, make sure when you meet together, you're, you're getting new believers and baptizing them as a sign of worship. Make sure you, as you come together, take the Lord's Supper with one another as an act of worship. Make sure you are are fellowshipping and building relationships with people as an act of worship. Make sure the Word of God is being taught as an act of worship. Make sure you're giving proper praise and respect and honor to God in your worship. There are specific things that God calls us to do as a church. As we read Scripture, we find this is how God wants us to worship Him. Many of us come to church not with the proper attitude of worship, but we come to church like Cain. In the book of Genesis, Adam and Eve have two sons, Cain and Abel. Abel comes and brings a a sacrifice that is pleasing to God. And we're not told why, but for some reason, Cain's offering was rejected. While we don't know the details behind his offering, what we can definitely come to the conclusion of is that Cain wanted to worship God on his own terms and in his own way. Many of us show up on Sunday morning and we want to worship God on our own terms and in our own way. I can't sing that song because I don't like it. 
I can't believe the pastor said that in his message. I know he read it straight from Scripture, but that really hurt me and stepped on my toes. I don't like that. And that person sitting in the pew, just two pews down from me, boy, if you only knew what they were doing on Friday night, I can't believe they had the audacity to show up on a Sunday morning. Or can you believe they've decorated the church the way they have in the sanctuary for a Sunday morning? I can't believe people would worship like this. Can I tell you, you're coming with a spirit of Cain, trying to worship on your own terms. Now, if we're going to worship in truth, we have to say, God, what is it you want me to worship like? What are the characteristics of worship and are we doing them? And if so, Lord, I want to come to you as you've revealed yourself and worship in truth. So if we only worship in truth, we run the risk of being legalistic and being sticks in the mud. We're also called to worship in spirit. That is, with this heartfelt, genuine praise. God doesn't want you to worship Him out of duty. I think of it this way. Our anniversary is in, in August. I don't know if you've got anniversaries coming up soon. I'm going to help you out, husbands, okay? Uh, when it's your anniversary, if you came to your spouse with a, a bouquet of flowers and said, Honey, happy anniversary. I want to give this to you. And she said, Thank you so much. You're beautiful. He said, Well, it's the least I could do. You expected of me, so I guess I'll give them to you. How do you think she would take that? Jeremiah knows from experience, right? That's not the way you handle it. Hey, if you came and said, it's my duty to honor you on our anniversary, so here are your gifts. Now, there is a sense of, of husbands and wives having a duty to honor and show love to one another, but if it's done out of duty, is that really heartfelt? It has the opposite effect. What it says is not, I honor you, but I, I dishonor you, Right? I don't care enough to really feel this about you. I'm just doing it because I have to. On the flip side, if you come to your spouse and you say, it's our anniversary, I want to take you out to your favorite restaurant. She says, well, well why would you do that? Well, Because quite honestly, I can't think of anything I'd rather do than spend time with you. I just love being in your presence and getting to know you even more after all these years. And now all of a sudden, it's not out of duty, but out of joy, Right? God's desire is not that we would worship Him out of a rigid duty. God's desire is that we willingly and lovingly come before Him. Worshiping God in spirit and in truth are not contradictory to each other. It's not, I either worship God rigidly in truth or I worship God emotionally in spirit. Instead, they complement each other. The more you dig into the truth of God's Word, the more your heart explodes out of love for Him in genuine worship. And the other way around, the more you invest emotionally in worship, giving your heart to God, the more you desire to know the truth of Scripture. So before we move on from this point and close briefly with our last one, what if we don't feel the spirit of worship? What if we stand up every Sunday morning and, and just feel the rigid duty, but not the heartfelt praise? Should we stop worshiping out of fear of hypocrisy? Should we just stop coming all together and, and wait until our emotions line up with the truth of Scripture? No. The truth is every Christian goes through a spiritual desert at some point or multiple points in their life. One of the reasons why corporate worship is called a spiritual discipline is because there are going to be times you don't feel the emotion of Scripture, but you rely on the truth. There are going to be times in life you just don't have those good feelings and yet you worship God for who He is anyways.
There's the balance of worshiping in spirit with heartfelt emotion, but being grounded in the truth of who God is and what he has done. Finally and briefly, but very importantly, worship is expected both publicly and privately. This message is on corporate worship, worshiping together publicly, but, but I want to make a case, a biblical case, that it, it is impossible to worship genuinely in a public corporate setting if we are not privately worshiping on our own. Let's start by looking in the book of Hebrews. The writer of Hebrews tells us to encourage one another in love. And how does he say we're to encourage one another in love? Hebrews 10.25. Do it this way. Not neglecting to meet together as some is in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. There's an emphasis that the Hebrew writer wants you to know. Meet together. Be together. Spend time together. All throughout Scripture, The church is referred to as a corporate body, never an individual body. In Acts 20, 28, the church is called the flock. 1 Corinthians 12, 12, it's called a body, as in an entire body. In Ephesians 2, 21, it's called a a structure. In Ephesians 2, 19, it's called a household. The church is meant to be a gathered group, a, a body of believers, not an individual setting. We are called to meet together. By the way, there's no way to interpret meet together other than physically meet together. I'm beyond thankful for our live stream ministry and the way it touches uh, people who are unable to be here on Sunday mornings. And one of the reasons why I I moved down to the floor this morning is so that those who are unable to attend are still able to worship with us in some capacity. But can I tell you, worshiping digitally is not a replacement for physically being in the church. If our only means of worship is through a TV screen or a phone or a tablet, we are not meeting corporately together. We're not physically meeting. And I shared very early on in our live stream days, if it ever becomes that we have less people attending and more people watching online, we'll kill the live stream. I'm thankful for the avenues we have to Send our worship services out as an evangelistic tool and as a tool for those who are unable to be here. But Scripture clearly tells us not to neglect meeting together. Being together. However, in our public corporate worship, we suffer if we aren't also worshiping at home privately. Worship is expected both publicly and privately. We read in the Gospels that Jesus often went to the synagogue to worship, to sing songs and to teach and to do these things with other people. But then over and over again we hear uh, the description of Jesus drawing away from the crowds and spending time privately in prayer. Spending time with the Father. I wonder how can we expect God to move in our lives during public corporate worship if we aren't experiencing Him moving in our lives in our own private worship. I believe passionately that the reason why many of us show up on Sunday morning and feel no spirit and truth in worship is because we have not primed our hearts Monday through Saturday. We have not spent time privately in the Word of God. We have not spent time worshiping Him throughout the week. And then we show up expecting a show. And when it doesn't happen, we scratch our heads. God, why aren't you moving? This morning, I wonder if we can respond in corporate worship 
Not simply in a rigid manner, but in a way that says, God, I know who you are. The truth of who you are has been revealed. And when I see you, my spirit and my heartfelt emotions get the best of me. I can't help but sing. I can't help but praise. I can't help but pray. This morning, we're going to have a song of, of invitation. But the song of invitation actually is just the beginning of what will transition into being a time of worship. I wonder this morning if you can ask God to, to let you genuinely worship Him in spirit and in truth. This morning as you, you contemplate worshiping God, maybe you need to ask yourself, do I really know who God is and is the spirit of truth living in me? Maybe this morning you need to confess your need for salvation and worship God truly for the first time. I'm going to pray and as God leads, would you worship this morning? Let's pray. Father, we thank you for giving us an avenue to show you honor and glory and respect. Lord, I thank you for the truth of your word which calls us to worship. Lord, I pray that as we sit here this morning, many of us may feel uncomfortable because we're unsure of of whether it's appropriate to respond the way that we feel to respond. Lord, let us throw that off. Lord, let us... Let us be in your presence like those four creatures in Revelation, like the 24 elders, like the company of angels. Lord, let us be a part of every creature just worshiping you for who you are. Lord, someone in here, you're going to call to raise their hands to you in worship. Lord, someone's going to sit quietly in worship. Someone in here is going to give their heart to you knowing that they've never genuinely worshipped before. Lord, as you lead us. As you work in each of our hearts, would you reveal the truth of who you are and let us worship you this morning. It's in your name we pray. Amen.